My name is Paul Wilkin. I'm an elder here at the church. I am not the normal speaker, and if you were here last week, you know that. Um, but I thank you for the opportunity to come back here and to speak to you all again. Um, let's hop right in and get into our summary of last week. And what I would say is, um, I do feel a little weird about telling you to dig into the details of the Bible, like really look at the minute little wordings and translation changes and things like that. And by doing so, I'm going to do a lot of paraphrasing. <laughs> and so, so I apologize for that, but I gotta try to squeeze this into, uh, so you can go to lunch. Um, so, so bear with me as I do a lot of paraphrasing today. Uh, let's start off, so with Jacob, Last week, we talked about Jacob. We found out things like he's the heel grabber. He struggles with his identity. He wrestles with God. He's, he's uh, you know, called the deceiver. That's what heel grabber kind of means back, uh, back at that time. Um, but with, during his struggles, he wrestled with God. He wrestled with himself. He just grappled to try to figure out who he was and what he was doing. And in doing so, God named him Israel. Um, and that means God uh, named his chosen people, God contended, wrestles with God, triumphant with God. So it's not always going to be this perfect, amazing relationship. There's going to be struggle, and, and that's okay. You know, God's way bigger than us. We're not going to understand everything, and it's okay that we don't always understand that. So, um, but what does this mean? This means... God's tribe's name is wrestles with God. God's kingdom's name is wrestles with God. God's chosen people are named wrestles with God. So you're in great company. This is who God expects us to be. He expects us to ask questions, not always understand. It's all right. Why is this good news? You don't have to be perfect. You can struggle with your faith. You can struggle with who you are. Um, even as you... Uh, don't know exactly what God is doing. He wants you to wrestle and grow with him. That's a good thing. And God's going to love you and has great things in store for you, even in your struggles. So as part of this message series, I always want to make sure that everybody knows these are not my ideas. Like, I'm not that smart. If you saw last week's sermon series, you saw that there's a lot of things that were going on in my life that shows I've struggled. I'm not uh, always got it together. I know I'm an elder here, but that only means I'm old. So, um, okay. um, the other thing is, is so this sermon in particular, there is a lot uh, that came from LF Beta uh, and Rabbi Foreman. And uh, let me just say this, it's, he, doesn't, he does not put his material together for a Christian audience, which is okay because getting a perspective from a rabbi about the Old Testament makes all the sense in the world. Jesus makes all kinds of claims and clarifications, and he is a Jewish rabbi. And so we need to know these old texts in a way that maybe we don't always understand because we have the tendency of wanting to get right to the story of Jesus. Let's get to Jesus. Let's not figure out 
what God's nature is in the Old Testament and all of those things. And then when you get into the New Testament and you start hearing Jesus talk about it, you don't realize there's so many references back in the Old Testament. So just be aware of that. And then also uh, another source of inspiration for this one was Bema Discipleship Podcast. It's uh, phenomenal. Marty Solomon, who runs that, has spoken here on a number of occasions and just great information. So... Um, let's see. As, as Rabbi Foreman mentions this particular story, we're going to be talking about the story of Judah today. Um, he says there's a couple of different things that he wants to do to introduce the story. And to introduce the story, he suggests, one, you look at what marriage was like back in these days. And marriage is kind of a... was. A, was a different kind of concept, was different. It wasn't just two people who fall in love who, who end up pledging themselves to each other. It was a family affair. Sometimes it was arranged. Some things happened. Um, and so um, one of the strangest things, though, that you would find was in Deuteronomy 25.5. And in this section, it actually says that uh, if a man... Uh, who is married and he dies before having a son, he, and he has a brother, his brother should provide a son. And it's like, with, the, with his wife, and it's like, well, that seems kind of weird. I would not expect that of my brother if I were to die and Sarah was alone and didn't have any children. So um, the other thing that's interesting is, is that the brother-in-law decides that he does not want to fulfill this particular task. Um, <laughs> His sister-in-law can take him in front of the city elders and essentially humiliate him and his family and just make it seem like um, he's done something very wrong. And so, but the reason this is such a big deal is back then, if you were a woman and you weren't married or you didn't have a child, your future prospects were very difficult. And so this provided you protection. But the other piece of this is, is that you... If you were the brother doing this for your brother who had passed away, you would be helping continue his bloodline, helping continue his name. And, and your name back then was a lot. And so, like we talked about last week, names and understanding of what those names are are important. So, um, so filling in for your brother, providing stability for your sister-in-law, all of those things were very important. But the second thing to think about is the placement of the story of Judah. And so we've got this great story of Joseph that goes on. And the story of Joseph really starts, boy, what is it, like 36 in Genesis? And then it, it continues to go on. And then, boom, right in the middle, there's this really weird story about Judah and his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And, it's, and that's in chapter 38. And so it's just a very strange placement. You don't quite get it. So keep that in the back of your head as we're going through this material. Um, think about the, the, the law that you have to fulfill for marriage, for brothers and their brother in, uh, and fulfilling that with their sister-in-law. And then also think about the strange placement of this story and why it's set up the way that it is. So let me see how many of you how many of you know who Judah is, know the story of Judah and Tamar? You can, you can put your hand up. 
Do you really understand it? When you read it, do you go, that's kind of a weird story. But it's, it's, it's kind of a cool story as well. And so what I would ask you is and basically say, these are the things that I know about Judah. Judah was the son of Israel, all right, Jacob. Judah is Joseph's brother. I kind of knew that. He's one of the 12 tribes of Israel. His name is used for one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, the word Judaism or Jewish, that kind of thing, that comes from Judah. And I also know when the kingdom splits, the kingdom of Israel splits, the southern kingdom is Judah and the northern kingdom is Israel. So when you look at this and you see that these kingdoms are split this way, know this as well. This gives you a little bit of context into what I'm talking about. So today I'm talking about the repentance of Judah. And so um, when you look at the kings who, were the, who ruled over these kingdoms, you can pretty much know that the kingdoms in Israel, the northern kingdom, they were always pretty bad. But the kingdoms in Judah would occasionally, I'm not saying it was all the time, they would occasionally have a king that would do some things that praise the name of God. And so you would see that they would get off track and then get back on track. And so that's kind of a key of what we will see in the story with Judah as well. So, um, so as, we, as I go through this, just make sure that we're seeing that... Uh, um, these stories are put in this place in a strange way, but if you listen to, to these podcasts, you will see that they were put there in a particular way with a particular order. So let's see if we can dive into a little bit more of what Judah's uh, background is. So let's start with the sons of Jacob. So we know the sons of Jacob are... Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and then Judah. Judah's the fourth. Does anybody remember what's kind of the important son in the order of birth? The first, that's right. Reuben should be the one who's really prominent and would get double portions of things, would be asked to take over for Judah when Judah passes away. And then we have Dan, number six, Gad, Asher, Ishakar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Two others of note is Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph and Benjamin are, are the sons that were born from Rachel, the love of Jacob's life. So remember that. They're very, very important. And of course, we all know the story of Joseph that goes along with that. So... Um, so anyways, just keep that in mind. Judah's the fourth son. He's on the list. He really shouldn't be that important. But what did we talk about last week? We talked about kind of definitions of names. So when Leah gave birth to these, these sons, she kind of gave them these names for a reason. So if you look at Genesis 29, 31 through 35, you'll see that she named Reuben, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. How would you like to be named? Because you want, your uh, mother wanted to be loved by your father. It seems uh, desperate and terrible. Um, imagine growing up in that kind of situation. 
Um, look at Simeon. Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. Uh, Levi, now at last my brothers will uh, my uh, husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Doesn't that just sound awful? It's like Leah, now remember, she was like weak-eyed. That means she wasn't very pretty. Um, so, so she was tricked. Jacob was tricked into marrying her, and so he really had no real love for her. He always wanted to marry her sister, Rachel. So, but then look at Judah. Judah's name, this time I will praise the Lord. And so you kind of see something different there in her head and in her mind, but there's power in names. And so, you know, imagine what you would think if you were growing up knowing that you were named because your mother was so desperate to get attention from your father, and then finally you're named after and giving praise to God as part of that. And so you can just see there's, there's some differences there. Um, so what does Judah mean? If you look it up in Wikipedia, you can see that Judah means uh, thanksgiving or praise. His birth is recorded in 2935, as we just read, this, or looked at, this time I will praise the Lord, Yahweh. I will praise, I will praise. So it's like, all of this very positive kind of stuff going on. So now that we know a little bit more about Judah and some of his background, we can get a glimpse at Judah's character when we start looking more closely in the story of Joseph, because there's a lot of things going on in that story that kind of build up before you get to the Judah and Tamar story. So if we look at Genesis 37, 20, or 12 through 36, you can see that Israel has asked Joseph to go check on his brothers. Now, if you read earlier in the story, you know that Joseph kind of tattles on his brothers saying they did something wrong. And so I have a feeling this is kind of something that Jacob would ask him to do all the time. Hey, can you go check on your brothers and tell me what, they're, what stupid things they're doing and then come back and tell me about it? And so you already know the brothers probably aren't too keen on, on, on Joseph. So the brothers saw him a long way off, and so they plotted to kill him. Yeah, I guess they don't like him very well. What are some other reasons they may not like Jacob? One is he is the father, or he is the son from the mother who is the favorite mother. And so first son from the mother who Jacob loves the most. Number two, I think I heard somebody say the coat you're right, the coat, but it's not just because it's ornate or has many colors. It's because of all the brothers had a coat. Judah has a coat, or, or, I'm sorry, Judah has a coat, and, and Joseph has a coat, but Joseph gets another coat. So who gets double portions? Firstborns. He's not the firstborn. He's way back here. He's number 11. Why is he getting two coats? Why is his look so special? Why is it father sends him out to tattle on us? Why do all of these things happen? It's, it just stacks up against him. His brothers aren't going to like him. What are some other things? Do you remember the dreams? He tells his brothers they're basically going to bow down to him at some point, and he's going to rule over them. That's not going to go over well when you already are not liked by your brothers, and they're like, there's no way that's going to happen. That's... So as they see him coming, they decide, let's kill him. Reuben, 
who's the firstborn, he actually decides he's going to try to save Joseph's life. So he says, just put him in the cistern. That's where the water typically is. This one is apparently dry. So they put him in the cistern, and he's there. And for some reason, Reuben has to go away. And while Reuben is away, who of all people decides, maybe we should sell our brother into slavery? It's Judah. Judah, this person who we know is supposed to be something in, in um, the kingdom of Israel, in the kingdom of God, he says, let's sell our brother into slavery. So as, as all of this happens, Judah and his brothers put him in there. They pull him out. They sell him to Midianite merchants. So we kind of know why all of this stuff would happen, but what an awful brother you know, one, they decide they want to kill him, but two, then they decide we'd rather have the silver and Reuben's away, and so we're just going to sell him. <clears throat> so what do they do? They get ready to go back and to basically tell their father what has happened. So we look at Genesis 37, 12 through 36, and we see that they slaughter a goat, and they dip Joseph's coat in it, they go back and they convince Jacob that Joseph has been killed by an animal, and Jacob just tears his clothes. He's just devastated. His first son from the wife he loved has died. He goes into mourning, and we read that not only his kids coming to try to console him and to tell him it's going to be okay, you've got 11 other kids, you've got daughters, you've got so many things going on, he's just like, I will not be consoled. I will mourn until the day I die. And as they go to him, and I just, I, I went back and I listened to this just this morning, and, and, and Marty Solomon talks about these, this phrase that just kind of rings out when they go to take that coat with the blood on it, and they take it to him, and they have him look, and they say, do you recognize, do you recognize this coat and he goes, surely that's my son's coat, and he's been tear, torn apart by an animal. And that term, recognize, is going to come back again. So don't forget that. We'll see that again. Um, so just as we get into this story and we start seeing, oh, wait, this is a really cool story, and we're finding out more about this, and Joseph just got sold into slavery, what's the next part of this? Boom, here's the story of Judah and Tamar. And it's like, why? Why here? Because right after this, they're gonna start talking about Joseph in Egypt and all the things that he was doing in Egypt and how that worked. So why would you put this story here? Nobody knows, really. Some textual scholars think it just got put there because the tribe of Judah was so important that they needed to be in this story somehow, so they just kind of put it in there. But if you listen to Rabbi Foreman, you know that isn't the case. This is put here for a very specific reason. So let's get into Genesis 38, 1 through 11. It says, At this time Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hire. Judah met, a, his, uh, met the daughter of the Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and made love to her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son who's named Ur. 
She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kesbid that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty as, as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his, so whenever he slept with her, his, uh, his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground and kept from providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought he may, too, may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live uh, in her father's household. So Judah gets married and has three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Judah finds a wife for Ur, and her name is Tamar. Now, Ur was not a good guy. We have no idea why this is, but God ends up putting him to death. We know that uh, we go on to the next brother, Onan. He's supposed to step in. He does not want to fulfill his duties, and God ends up killing him as well. And so we're two sons down. If you're Judah now, you've got one son left, and you don't know, you don't know what's happened. Like, he doesn't know the backstory, and like, oh, these boys were so bad, and, and so God put them to death. All he knows is, my sons got with this woman, and they died, and I'm not going to put my third son into this position. Now, he says, when he gets older, he'll do what he needs to do as a brother-in-law. So, but, but we know just from this story, he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. And so, all of that is kind of creeping into his head. But one other thing back from in, uh, in, in the first uh, verse of this, we saw that Judah left his brothers. So Judah's not with his family anymore. So we see that Judah has left the brothers. Why would he do that? Usually the families would stick together. The families were always together. So maybe selling Joseph was a problem as they got back and they saw, you know what, dad's not going to be consoled. This is awful. This is terrible. And so maybe, maybe Reuben, who was the actual firstborn, told them to get out of there or some of the other brothers. So maybe there's some turmoil there that you can look at. But it's not, it's not like they're kind of this normal family, like they were ever normal. They've got Jacob as their patriarch and, and, and all of the stories that go along with that as well. So just know that we've got these brothers in this strange situation and where they're at. And you can also see that Judah has done something very similar to what he did to his father. What did he do to his father? He put his father, by selling his son Joseph into slavery and telling him he's dead, he put, he put him in the state of mourning, which he will never get out of. And what do we see here, what he's doing with Tamar? He tells Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. 
So he's keeping her in this same place, this same perpetual mourning that somebody is gone who's no longer there. And so both of these folks are so heavily damaged from this. And so let's go on uh, from Genesis uh, 12 to 14. It says, after a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. Um, when Judah had recovered from his grief, he went to Timnah to the man who was who were shearing his sheep. And his friend Hira, the Adulamite, went with him. So he's going on a business trip. Uh, Tamar hears about this. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on the way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes. She's still in her widow's clothes. Covered herself with a veil to disguise herself and then sat down at the entrance of Enam, Enam, Aim, Enam, okay, um, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that, that though Shela had grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. So there you see, again, here's the signs that Judah is never going to give his last son, Shela, uh, to Tamar to have a child. And so um, the other piece of this is, is she puts on these clothes. She puts on a veil. She's going to look different. She gets out of those widow's clothes to go and, and, um, and to be with Judah. So let's continue on in verse 15 through 19. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute. She had covered her face, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law. He went out over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. It's really a strange way they did business back then, I guess. Um, and she says, what will you give me? No, she knows how this works. What will you give me if I sleep with you? She asked, I'll send you a young goat from my flock. Is he going to pay a prostitute with a goat? I, this, is, this is very, very strange. I'll send you the young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something uh, in pledge until you send it? So he doesn't have the goat right now, so she says, can I have something in place? Can I have something just to make sure that I'm able to get this goat. And uh, he said, what should, what should I give you? Your seal and its cords and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off the veil and put her widow's clothes back on again. So she goes home, and she puts the widow's clothes back on. And so she's, gotta, she's still in the same state that she was before, um, but now she's pregnant. We see that um, she was also very smart, very shrewd. She was able to get something that, that um, Judah would very much recognize if he saw it again. And so he took that, uh, she took that from him, the cord and his seal and staff. And so a cord is kind of a part of a garment um, that they would have. And so you'll see this theme kind of over and over again where you see goats, used a goat to pay for her, and there's a cord, which is a garment that goes with it. If you go back and you look at the story of what happened to Joseph in his coat, a goat was slaughtered and dipped in blood. If you even go back further, you can see that when Esau is born, he's red and he's hairy. It's kind of all, all of these things kind of tie together. And you'll see if you continue in the Joseph story 
that there's even more about this where um, Joseph is with Potiphar's wife and there's a goat that's involved and he, he leaves his, his coat behind his cloak. All of these things really tie together. And so I just urge you to, to, to hear these stories and see how they all come together. They're not these simple little stories that we were told back in Sunday school. These are really in-depth and they call back to other things. It's amazing. So as we see... Um, Tamar asked for this pledge, and it's a brilliant move on her part. So we'll get back into verse 20. Meanwhile, Judas sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road? And uh, there hasn't been a shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived there said, there hasn't been a shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has, and um, otherwise we'll become a laughingstock after her if we keep kind of looking around for her, looking to give her this goat. Um, and, he, uh, and so they, they just kind of moved on. They didn't find her. They didn't know exactly what was going on. But anyways, let's just move on, they said. At least Judah tries to pay. He doesn't try really hard, but he tried to pay. And so we kind of see, eh, okay, well, we didn't find her. Let's move on. So now look at Genesis 38, 24. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution and in the result is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. Just like that. He's just like, she's... Now, this was kind of the law back then in terms of if you look at Leviticus 20.10. Now, this happens before Leviticus, and so Levitical law is not completely there. But you know that this is something that is just awful. He's, he's doing something that's awful and he just wants to get rid of it. He's, he's so mad. He, he can't believe she did this. After he leaves her in the state of mourning for such a long time, and he doesn't see anything, any problem with this. So, so now we go back to um, um, verse 25. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are, recognized. So Marty goes through and talks about this term recognized and how often it shows up in Genesis. And it's like eight times, there's eight times, but they're all very specific where they're trying to tie all of this stuff together. And she says, recognize these, just like Judah said to Joseph, do you recognize this coat? And so this is just echoing in his head. What have I done? What am I doing? So as Judah kind of has this going on in his head, we look at verse 26. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous, which by the way, the name Tamar means righteous. She's more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shelah, and he did not sleep with her again. 
Well, that's good. <laughs> um, so it finally hits Judah. All of these things are happening. All of this is coming in, and he sees all the trouble that he's caused. And so, you know, he probably deserves an ending like his two sons, Ur and Onan, where God sees terrible things in his sight, and he should probably just make him go away, but he doesn't. He raises him up. Why does he raise him up? Let's continue to read. Let's go to Genesis 27 through 30. When the time gave, came to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. As she given birth, one of them put his hand out, so the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it to his wrist and said, this one came out first, but then drew back his hand. His brother came out. She said, so this is how you have broken out, and his name was Perez. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out, and his name was Zira. So we see again this very strange thing about who's the firstborn, who's the secondborn. I put my hand out, that makes me the firstborn, but I actually came out and took a breath. Who's the firstborn? Who knows? This is how God is turning this upside down and changing what has happened in these old times. So, but now Tamar has her son. Actually, she has two sons. And so they are there, and now she's written in history as one of the great women of the Bible. So let's look at Matthew 1, 1 through 6. And I'm just going to have, um, uh, if Regan, if we can just go through those, those slides relatively quickly and get down to Tamar. But I just want you to see, as part of this, you can see that Tamar is listed there in verse number 3. It says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Women are never in genealogies, and we see it all over the Bible, where we see Tamar is here. And so as we go on, we can see that there's actually, if you go down to verse 5, you can see that there are two other women, Rahab and Ruth, very prominent Old Testament women who are in this same line, and they're never there. So, and then as you keep going, you can see that they're in the line of Father King David. King David, they are in the line of the king who rules over all of Israel. That is how prominent Judah is. And so we see that Tamar is just as prominent here. Um, so as we looked at 37, we saw the story of Joseph. We looked at 38, we saw the story of Judah and Tamar. And so as you go through some of these other chapters, we're way back into the story of Joseph now. Chapters 39 through 41, basically what you see is Jacob and his sons are starving to death. They need to get food from Egypt. They go to Egypt, and we know that Joseph is now in Egypt. They end up buying food from him, but they don't recognize him. They don't know who he is. So he talks, he basically says, go get Benjamin, he says the youngest, bring the youngest here. It really feels like Joseph is like, what's going to happen to him? They sold me into slavery. They still have him. I'm going to save him from these brothers. And so he's trying to figure out a way to get Benjamin back. But Jacob, he doesn't want to lose this son, so he doesn't just hand him over. This is his last son from Rachel. That's the last thing he wants to do. And so we can see here that if they want to get the food, somebody's got to step in. And we see here in Genesis 43, 8 through 10, Judah said to Israel, his father, 
send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we, <clears throat> we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee the safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him in you, uh, to, back to you and set him be- here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have been there and returned twice. So Judas is like, we gotta go. Let me take this boy. I will bring him back. Now, does, does Jacob actually know what's going on with all of the bad things that Judas done? Probably not. Would he let him go if he knew all of these things? Maybe not. Who knows? But Jacob finally relents and says, okay. And so they go along and they get to Egypt and everything seems to be going okay But then Joseph places silver in Benjamin's bag, and as they're about to leave, he catches him. Again, I think an attempt to try to save him, but as he's trying to keep Benjamin back and try to save him from these brothers, Judah steps up and says, I can't do this to my father. So let's look at Genesis 44, 18 through 34. Then Judah went to him and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, let me speak to the... uh, the word to my Lord, do not be angry at your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked the servant, do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, we have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead. He's not dead. He's talking to him. He is the only one my mother, uh, my, his mother's son left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servant, Bring him down to me so I can see for myself. And we said to the Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves, his father will die. But you told your servant, unless the youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my, your servant, my father, we told him, my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back, buy a little more food, But we said, we cannot go without our youngest brother unless he's with us and he will go. We cannot see the man's face unless the youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me. And and I said, he's surely been torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. If you, take him, if you take one from me and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to you, your servant, my father, and my father, whose life is closely bound up to this boy's life, see that boy isn't there, he, he will die. Your servant will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the, boy, the boy's safety for, uh, to my father. I said, I do not bring him back to you. I will bear the blame for you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return to his, with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if this boy is not with me? no. Do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. 
So you see the transformation that happens in Judah. All of this going on in his head, he's willing to step in and he's going to be the slave. Just let my brothers take him home so my father doesn't have to go through this again. He's become sacrificial. He's okay with being replaced. This is why he's honored. This is what repentance means. This is one of those churchy words again where you say, I'm repenting from my sins. I'm repenting from what I've done. And all that means is I'm walking this way and now I'm walking this way. And Judah does that. He sold his brother into slavery. He made his daughter mourn. He even was going to put her to death. And now he's stepping up and saying, you can take me as a slave, just let my brother go home. So why is this good news? What is this good news? I will tell you this, it's, just, it's very similar to last week. But here, we all sin. We all make bad decisions. We all do things we regret. Judah, and don't forget this, Judah is not some spring chicken. This dude's a grandfather. These kids he just had, they're like his grandkids. And just think about this. When they sold Joseph into slavery, they were probably in their mid to late 20s. Joseph was 17. You can change. Again, you don't have to be perfect. God loves you, and great things can come even though you're, you've messed things up, even though you've done things wrong. You can change. It's not too late things that I need to repent from, things that self-centeredness, anger, fear, lying, doing things that I knew were wrong, not standing up for the oppressed, not doing the things that I know I've been called to. Those are things that we can all change, that we can all repent from, that we can all take into consideration as we try to go down this journey of spiritual transformation. So one, know you can struggle, it's okay. To know that you can still repent. It's not too late. Everything's going to be okay. So let's pray to God and thank him for these chances for us to change the direction that we're going in. And as I pray, I just ask that the band come down. Heavenly Father, you give us ample opportunities to change the directions that we're going in. We know that many times we're walking away from the cross and you're trying to pull us back to the cross. We just ask that you help us do this. Send your spirit to help us make this course correction, Lord. We know that you love us no matter what. You love us so much, Lord. And we know that we don't do the things that you have for us Help us connect so that we can see the things that we need to change and help us be able to make those changes and help us know that it's a process. It doesn't just happen one second, one snap of the finger. It doesn't work that way. We know that over years, we can see things that we've done and then we can do things differently again with the help of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And we just ask that you continue to work with us as we struggle through this, as we struggle through what spiritual transformation is, Lord. Help us know that you're there with us through it all and that we'll come out better on the other side. And we pray these things 
In your son Jesus' name, amen. Is this, yes, it's on. I'm Denise. <clears throat> so, communion notes. Uh, when I was asked to do this, I got, I always get anxious, and um, I asked the Lord for some help. And his word to me was, am I, or we, worthy? And was it worth Jesus dying for us? Many people have feelings of being unworthy to receive the free gifts God has for us. And when we consider the mess we often make of our lives, sometimes we think that we might be right. However, God never gives up on us and has made a way through Jesus. There has been a feed coming across my page several times of late, and I would like to share it with you. And it goes like this. How does the thief on the cross fit into your theology? No baptism, no communion, no confirmation, no speaking in tongues, no mission trip, no volunteerism, no financial gifts, and no church clothes. He couldn't even bend his knees to pray. He didn't say this in his prayer, and among other things, he was a thief. Jesus didn't take away his pain, heal his body, or smite his scoffers. Yet it was a thief that walked into paradise the same hour as Jesus, simply by believing. He had nothing more to offer than his belief that Jesus was who he said he was. No spin from brilliant theologians, no ego or arrogance, no shiny lights, skinny jeans, <laughs> or crafty words, uh, no fog machine, donuts or coffee in the lobby, just a naked, dying man on a cross, unable to even fold his hands to pray. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is the good news, complex but so simple. As I have shared this with you all, perhaps some have not asked for a personal relationship with Jesus. Perhaps you do not know the way. If your heart is pounding or you're feeling warmth in your body, that is the way that the Holy Spirit chooses to nudge you today. This is the time. Ask. He loves you just as you are. He died on a cross just for you and for me so that we will be with him in heaven forever. If you have that feeling right now and you have decided to accept him, tell someone. Perhaps the person sitting next to you. Perhaps come seek out someone down front after service. Let them know that you have made this decision. Don't leave today without moving into relationship with him. He gave us something to remember him by, this meal that we call communion. The bread represents his body that he gave for us. The juice represents the blood that he shed for us. And after we pray, the table will be open for all to share. Come to this table and give thanks. Let us pray. God, you chose us long ago to be your children. Help us to accept your generous invitation and your gift of eternal life and peace with the Father. As we celebrate this gift through this meal, 
Give us all that we need to succeed in our walk with you. Be with us this week. Protect and provide all of our needs. Show yourself to others by the changes you have made in us. Fill us with more of your Holy Spirit and all of his gifts so that we can minister to those you bring to us this week. We thank you for all you do and have done and continue to do. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.